This is probably a, a really good point just to express our thanks to you from myself and Denise just for the way in which you've uh, just so graciously welcomed us. Uh, your kind words, your thoughts, your practical deeds. Uh, just the, the fellowship we've experienced here. It's just been wonderful to come in and, and to plug in with you. So thank you so much. It has been such a blessing and we're just really uh, grateful to be here with you and uh, to worship with you and to plug in with you. So thank you all. Thank you very much. Um, so call this, uh, this talk um, Growing Pains. I don't know about you, but uh, I've got one or two memories from when I was growing up of, of having growing pains. Um, it's sort of something about going through a lot of shoes sizes in a fairly short period of time and, and my mum being fairly despairing of that fact. Uh, I've got a, a big brother who's two years older than I am, so I remember getting to the point where I could hold my own and he could beat me up quite as much as he used to, you know, and I could get my own back a bit, so that, that was good. And uh, I remember just eating a lot. I mean, just really, really eating a lot. If it wasn't nailed down or if it wasn't anything, I mean, I wanted to eat it. Yeah, I was really... Uh, consuming a lot of food. Uh, do you remember that ghost on Ghostbusters at the beginning of the one who's like, this sort of thing? A bit like, uh, bit like the guy there. Uh, that was kind of me at that age, uh, sort of eating the food and, and that sort of stuff. And, and thinking about it, I was changing my behaviour as well. I mean, when kids get to sort of 10, 11, 12, they do start to sort of change their personality and the behaviour. They're no longer... They no longer say things like, I want to do the job that my dad did, or I don't want to just listen to the music that my mum had. We start to develop our own personality. Uh, we start to see the world and those about us as, as adults do, and not as children do. Uh, that can be a challenging time and a dangerous time for kids if they haven't got proper guidance. But uh, it, was a, it was a memory of, of growing up, I suppose, and, and growing pain. I don't know what you remember about, about that time in your lives and you know, what was happening when you were sort of 10, 11, 12. Sometimes your changes are just physical, I suppose. Sometimes they're more personality. I'm not sure how our parents always cope. Uh, I think about my poor mum. God bless her. She had a tough time. And, and organisations go through growing pains as well. Uh, not just people. So, did you know that companies went through growing pains? Most, more companies fail when they're growing than when they're shrinking. Now, if you knew that, more companies knew because of cash flow problems when they're growing than when they're shrinking. And we're going to see today that churches go through growing pains as well. Then if you knew that, that's what we're looking at here this morning. So if you've got your Bibles again, just, just if, you, if, you haven't, if you've closed them, just whip them back open again at page 1098. And let's see what God's got in store for us as we as we go through this. Let me read you that passage again that Emma ran out so greatly for us. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews amongst them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you 
who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenias and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Will you pray with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, let nothing pass my lips today which is not your word for your people. I'm only a poor vessel, but use me this morning. Lord, guide us and show us in your word and through the Holy Spirit. Let hearts be stirred up. Let souls be saved. Give us ears to hear and open hearts. Lord, help us to listen carefully to what you have for us this morning. Amen. So what's going on here? What's going on? What's the, what's the context here? Well, we're continuing the book of Acts. You may remember from the last few weeks that's written by a guy called Luke. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he's written this for one of his friends, Theophilus. And it's a history of the church. It's a history of the early church that's meeting in Jerusalem. And the Bible's like that. The Bible's got all kinds of different types of books in it. There's poetry and there's songs and there's whodunits and there's, there's history. And this is, a, this is a historical part of the Bible. And the church was growing, wasn't it? The church was growing. I don't know if you've noticed over the last, uh, the last messages from Acts how often it's said in the text somewhere and the number of believers grew or the number of people or the number of uh, believers came. So we've got a slide here with just the, those references on there. These are, these are all the places where it says something like and the number of believers in group. It's a lot in six slides. So they've gone from about 120 to over 5,000 believers in quite a short period of time. Can you imagine being in, a, being in a situation like that where everything's just so zealous and you know, you've gone from 120 people to, to 5,000. I mean, that's, a, that's enormous church, isn't it? You talk about God building his church. I mean, he really does build his church of 5,000 people. And again, at the start of chapter 6, look at verse 1, there it says, in those, the, in those days the number of disciples was increasing. It's, in, it's continuing to grow. God's word is being preached. Disciples are being made. Brilliant. It's all going well. But remember, I mean, again, just thinking about context, it's not, it's not always been easy. They've been persecuted. They've been, taken, they've been hauled in front of the church leaders and everything and, and given a hard time. There's been corruption. Uh, remember Ananias and, and Sapphira when they were being, been doing their thing. And now we're here at the beginning of Church 6 and the church again has come up against another problem. So you've had persecution, you've had corruption, and now you've got administration. Ah, administration. How we love it. How we like the paperwork. How we like doing all that stuff. I might be being sarcastic. So, here we are, we've got the complaint. What's going on? We've got the complaint. There's a disturbance, there's an issue, there's a conflict of some kind crops up. We don't know exactly, exactly how, they, how they were seeing it. It could have been anything, I suppose, but um, in verse 1, you've got the, the, the Greek Jews. So they're not necessarily from Greece. They're, they're Jews who had a, 
a culture, a background that they thought of as being Greek themselves. They probably spoke Greek and some of the languages, but they, they saw themselves as being Greek. And you've got the Hellenistic Jews. Those are the Jews, that's the culture that Jesus came from, Aramaic, that would be more uh, around Jerusalem and, and core, core uh, Israeli Jews, I suppose you would have called it in that way. All Jews, all Christians, to be clear, but, but different cultures, two different cultures. And the Greek Jews are saying, hey, our widows are not being treated fairly. You can imagine the scene, can't you? You know, you've got the apostles over there, standing over there, doing apostle stuff, you know, praying, reading the scriptures, all that kind of stuff. Then over to them come this group of Greek Jews, and they're saying, and notice it's not the widows themselves who come over, it's, it's the, the, the Jews who are associated with them, they're coming over and saying, hey, these widows, our widows, notice that word, our widows, our widows, they're not being looked after. You're not looking after them properly. We've got a problem. What are you going to do about it? And, okay, they've got a point. I mean, looking after widows was a requirement on both the, the Old Testament Jews and the church. In First Timothy 5, Paul says you need to be looking after the widows. Why was that an issue? Well, at this time, widows would have no way of supporting themselves. They had no access. There was no benefit system or anything like that. They had no access to work. So how were they going to feed themselves? If they had family members, okay, their family members could, could look after them, but, but often they didn't. And so it was up to... It was up to society and, in this case, the church to look after the, look after the widows. I don't know if you remember when Jai was preaching a couple of weeks ago in Acts 4. He was talking about how the church had everything in common and people were bringing, everyone was bringing their money to the, to the apostles and everything. Well, one of the things that was happening with that money was it was going to the widows. It was going to look after the widows. So they had a good point. And they had a good point as well because this seemed to be a problem across two different cultures, two different... There was something going on there that wasn't quite right. Uh, as an aside here, uh, let me just be clear. There's no... There's nothing in, Bi in the Bible, there's nothing in Scripture at all that says there's any room for divisions on the grounds of culture or race or class, look, wealth, amount of hair, language... Ability. There just isn't that kind of division in, in the church. Uh, in Galatians 3.28, the apostle, uh, the apostle Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, anyone who has believed that Jesus is the, is the son of a perfect God. Anyone who's believed that he came and lived and died and was raised again from the dead three days later, anyone who knows they've not lived the life they should have lived themselves and have put their trust in Jesus to save them, they are a Christian. It's as simple as that. They are a Christian. It doesn't, the rest of the stuff, it doesn't matter. And they're my brothers. 
and they're my sisters. That's why, that's why you'll sometimes hear me call people brother or sister. It's a reminder to myself. It's a reminder to myself of that truth that we are brothers and sisters. They're going to be in heaven. We're going to be in heaven. So if they're going to be in heaven, I need to get used to, to loving them and being with them. Because we're going to be there for eternity. Can you imagine being together with someone who you don't like for eternity? I mean, I mean that's daft. I mean, I, I, I need to get to used to liking them. Because eternity, it's a really long time. I mean, a really long time. You think this message is long. No. No, eternity is a really, really long time. And where are you in verse 1? You look at those people. Where am I in verse 1? I ask myself, how would I have responded? If I'd seen widows who I, I strongly identified with, if I'd seen them being overlooked, you know, people who I cared about, what would I do? How would I approach the leaders in the church? Would I, would I be grumbling, gossiping? Everyone has a grumble now and again. Fair enough. But there's something here for us, isn't there, about churches and how we all operate together. There's something here about how we deal with issues in a straightforward way. Being up front and being straightforward with our, with our leaders when an issue arises. Not gossiping or not exaggerating, but also not brushing it under the carpet and not, not just pretending it hasn't happened or letting it fester. So there's something for us there. But then on the other hand, how would you have tackled the issue if you'd been one of the apostles? If you'd been one of the leaders, how would you have tackled it? They could have ignored it. Oh, here we go again. Those Greek Jews. Oh, Greek Jews. Greek, Greek, Greek. All day long, Greek Jews. They could have, they could have taken it personally. Yeah, they could have been a bit... You're saying I'm doing a bad job or something. They could have been a bit defensive. Fortunately, they, they were men who possessed humility and godly wisdom. And Luke records this for us. And that's, that's really good. Cause it, I mean, there are other, I suppose, models of how to deal with conflict in the Bible in different places. But here's one. And this, is, this is a good one. Uh, and this is how they address the issue. In verse 2. They called all the believers together. Now how many is included in the word all? All. Everyone. Everyone together. All came in. So it wasn't just the, the Greek Jews who they pulled in to discuss this with. And the Hebrew Jews or the widows or whoever. Pulled everyone together. And then they set out their strategy. So, look further down there. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. 
So they were trying to keep the main thing, the main thing. They were saying, look, this is what's really important. Praying and preaching. That's what's really important. And so they're setting out their solution and they say, brothers and sisters, verse 3 there, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. We will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So those who've been talking about this and this stuff actually are now becoming part of the solution. They're actually becoming part of what we're going to do. It's not just being imposed on them. This is like how we're going to work it through. And, and this solution, really, is the, it, to me, is the core of what's going on here. This is, the, this is the basis of what's going on. The apostles could have said something like, no, we're going we're to spend more time on administration. We're going we're to work harder at feeding these widows. We're going to form the Widows Distribution Committee and, and, you know, and really sort of work on it. But they've realised it could have been a distraction. And so what we're seeing here is one of the passages that really starts to, to show us and talk to us about the role of leaders in the church, the role of overseers, the role of elders. They're saying they're to give their attention mostly to prayer and the ministry of the word, not exclusively, mostly. Would the church have continued to grow like we'd seen in the first, first chapters? if they hadn't been focusing on the word and on prayer. No, I don't think it would have done. You know, there's many churches today where you can see leaders who have become engrossed in that stuff. Engrossed in the, in the admin, engrossed in all the stuff, in the paperwork, in the programs or whatever. And you can see the churches are stagnating. It was okay when, when the church was small and there was 12 apostles to leave the thing. That was okay. That was cool. They had enough time to do the preaching and the praying and run everything. But now there's over 5,000 people in this church and there's 12 guys trying to run it. How can they get everything done? It's very, I found this very helpful uh, book written by two guys called Colin Marshall and Tony Payne called The Trellis and the Vine. That was a really useful book for me when I was thinking about this. And they use this analogy, and okay, all analogies aren't, aren't perfect to everything, but they were using this analogy and they were saying that the Word of God and the, and the, the fruit of the Word of God is like a vine. And the admin and the, the structure of the church is like the trellis. So you've seen, you've seen grapes and stuff growing up a, up a vine and, and fruit trees being pruned and everything. And what they're saying is that the admin and the, the, the paperwork and the logistics and all that, the, 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 the service kind of stuff, is like a trellis to a, 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 some grapes growing up a vine. Jesus talks about being the true vine, doesn't he, in, 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 the, in the Gospels. And if a church is going to spend all its time worrying about trellis and nothing about the vine, nothing grows. There's no vine to grow up the trellis. It's just trellis. It looks nice, but there's no fruit. But if a church spends all of its time focusing on the word and that sort of stuff 
and pays no attention to the trellis, then the vine grows, it's got nothing to grow on. And it falls over, and it dies. So you need both. You need both in balance as the church grows. So using that idea then, there's two really important points I want to draw out for you from what the apostles are saying here. The first is that as your church grows, as converts are made, as, as fruit comes through, as preaching happens, the vine grows, but you need support. You need the trellis there to support it, or else it all goes pear-shaped, wrong fruit. Um, but if, and if the trellis is too small, the vine, the vine falls over and nothing happens. But if the trellis is too big and people have spent too much time pouring into that stuff, then the vine, the vine isn't growing. It's not growing enough. So you've got to get that thing in balance. As the church grows, it's going to change. As the church grows, it changes as it has to. And as you're seeing here, first example of it in Acts chapter 6. The second point is, who builds the trellis? In this case, the elders have said, we're going to appoint seven men. We're going to appoint seven men with godly wisdom to build the trellis. That way the vine is still getting the resources. The twelve apostles are still preaching and teaching. So can you see how that might then inform for us what elders and overseers are supposed to do? They're going to mostly be working on that stuff. Also notice who they've picked. Look, look there again in uh, where it says, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. They're not just picking anybody. They're not just going out picking anybody. And they're not picking someone who's very skilled at feeding widows or distributing to widows. They're looking for different kinds of, of qualifications. They're looking for, for different things. Most commentators say that this passage is the first time that we really see the role of what's called a deacon set out in, the, in Scripture. And you'll find in, in some bigger churches that there's a focus on, on modelling this type of leadership. So the leaders are divided into overseers and deacons or elders and deacons. And they'll try and sort of follow this example of, of what's being set out here. Uh, let's just look at that for a moment and see what the difference is. So turn with me to... 1 Timothy chapter 3. I would love to tell you what page that is in the church Bible. I did not get there. So somebody shout it out when they get there, please. First Timothy chapter 3. 1192. I am reliably informed. Let's see what the Apostle Paul was writing there. This is what it says there. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, elder, overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? 
He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. Then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and, sorry, manage his children and his household well. Those who have served will gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So the major, dis- the major difference then between, between the, the twelve, the apostles, and these seven men who they've selected is really an ability to teach. Apart from that, there is really no difference. When you look at that passage in 1 Timothy, there's not really a lot of difference between the, the two groups. Also notice, and this is really important in Acts, nobody is saying that these seven men are in any way junior to or, or, or uh, less worthy of respect than the, the twelve apostles. They're both equally important. And it's not that the overseers, these elders, are not going to do certain work. I'm sure that that carries on. Ian was referring a couple of Wednesdays ago, I don't know if you were here, at the, the Groco on Wednesday, he was talking about how we're all called to be servants as Christians. We're all called to serve each other in that way. But we also know that these, these seven men were over, did vine work sometimes, did overseer work sometimes. Uh, Stephen, the first guy who's mentioned, he says he, says he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And Rich is going to tell you more about him next week. But he's a guy who stood up for his faith in front of all the council. He's the first Christian to die as a martyr. He was stoned to death in front of the council. Philip, the second guy there who's mentioned. We know that he was evangelist later on in in Acts. It says how he he baptised and converted the Ethiopian eunuch. And I, I didn't know this until I looked into this. Later on in Acts, in Acts 21, Paul stayed with him in Caesarea when he's coming back from a missionary journey. So Philip, again, was doing the work of an evangelist. He wasn't just distributing things to widows. So God calls different people to serve in different ways. What's God calling you to do? How's God calling you to serve him today it might be something like like playing music or leading a bible study perhaps it's something that doesn't happen yet here at, here at the church perhaps it doesn't happen in any church it might be something straightforward reading a bible with a, an elderly neighbour once a week what is it that God's putting on your heart. How does he want you to serve him?
And what was the result of this growth? What was the result when the trellis and the vine were both balanced out in the church? This is what the result was. What does the text tell us happened? Well, in verse 5 it said everyone was pleased with the solution, so that's a good start. Everyone's happy. Yes, all the apostles are like, yeah, everyone's happy. But there was, a, there was a bigger impact. Even more growth. It's already grown, but the church is going to grow again. Verse 7, the word of God is spread. Fantastic. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased. As an aside here, those words increase and and, and, and spread are both continuous words. It's not a one-time event. They're words that mean it continued. It carried on going and going and going and going. And number three, a large number of priests became obedient. Do you remember that slide last week in Ianson where we had the establishment going this way? And the, 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 sorry, the Christians going this way, wasn't it? And the establishment's going that way. Well, the priests was part of the establishment. And a large number of them, it says here, are actually becoming obedient to being Christians. So there's, a, there's, a, there's an awful lot of fruit that's coming out of this, of this rebalancing in the church that's gone on between the, by appointing these seven guys. So when the trellis is the right size, then the, and the balance with the vine, they will see much fruit. The support mechanisms adapt so that all the believers get freed up to live out the gospel, to make disciples. Remember, we're all called to make disciples. The elders are freed up to teach and to pray, to train and to oversee, as they've been instructed to do. So when we say, oh, you know, admin doesn't matter and and logistics and all that stuff doesn't matter, the answer is yes. Very much this stuff matters because if we don't get that right, if we don't get that balance right, the church will not grow in the way it should. Widows will be overlooked. Other people will be overlooked. Tensions will crop up. People will start getting into conflict if we have not got that right. And let's be clear about this. I mean, let's be so clear about this. The world loves admin. The world loves to push churches into admin. The world, you know, you think about you think about England at this point and just how much regulation there is and how many rules there are to be followed and how many things we have to do. All the places we have to register with and those kind of things. The world loves admin and loves to push churches towards admin. And as well, you know, to a certain extent, our own hearts in one way like admin, you know, we it's sometimes easier to stop and fill a form in than it is to go and have a conversation, perhaps a hard conversation with somebody who we need to have. Sometimes it's an easier option just to step back and you know, do something easy. Let's also be very clear. The devil wants us to do too much admin. Remember, the devil hates the church. I mean, he hates the church. And if he can push us into doing too much trellis, that's fine with him. That's great with him. He can make us ineffectual and he can make us so our vines wither and we fall over 
and we die. That could have happened here. That could have been what was happening here, but praise God. God built his church. God will build his church. This is the mission unstoppable. And God triumphed then, and God is going to triumph now. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your church is so precious to you, we know. And your church is precious to us. We know that the church is the, is your, is the bride of your Son. But we're not yet perfect. Praise God that all over the world your church is growing. Father, we pray that you would allow its leaders to get this balance right, this trellis and vine balance right, this balance between your word and praying and preaching and the balance between doing very necessary service. Lord, help the church in those situations to get it right so that they, they don't have the kind of division and the kind of problems that we see here in Acts chapter 6. Father, we pray that we would welcome and embrace different cultures here at REC. We pray that we would get this balance right here. Help us to be an open and a real church where we deal with real issues that arise in our church in a straightforward way. Help us to serve each other. Help us to love each other. Help us to be brothers and sisters to each other so that we might be a church that glorifies your name, that lifts you up, And people would look at it and see a body of believers who love you and adore you and not a group of people who are just divided and falling out with themselves. Amen.